Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. We're your hosts, Monty Wyatt and Paul Szczynski. Wherever you are in life, there is a higher ceiling. This podcast is how you become aware of it and how to take action to push through it. I'm Monty Wyatt, best-selling author of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat and CEO of Adding Zeros Executive Development. I grew up on a family farm in Iowa and have gone from sowing corn to sowing seeds of success throughout the world, leading, managing, and training teams. With me is Paul Szczynski, entrepreneur and investor who also grew up on a family farm here in Iowa. We believe every organization and person can be intentional in how they lead, influence, and manage their lives and businesses. What's Your Ceiling is for professionals, managers, executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to achieve more in their health, family, and business by breaking through their ceiling. Every episode will give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can be more aware and take action to reach new heights. It's time to discover your ceiling. Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. I'm Monty Wyatt. I'm Paul Szczynski. And we're here to talk about your health, family, and business and help you break through ceilings. Today, we have uh, a wonderful friend of mine, a great community uh, leader, and uh, a person that is an entrepreneur, a restaurateur. He owns multiple restaurants and different things, but he's He's very much into serving the public and he's very much into serving his customer and making sure that the things do right. So we have with us today, Scott Carlson. Love to have you part of our show. Appreciate you being here. Glad to be here. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, before we before we jump into our conversation, Paul's going to give us a little update on an event that we have uh, coming up. Yeah, Monty, we have a great event coming up uh, May 5th. We're going to be at the Berkshire Hathaway uh, shareholder meeting in Omaha, Nebraska. We're going to be doing interviews uh, at the hotel that we're staying at. We'll make an announcement. Also, maybe a gathering place around the corner at a restaurant bar that you might want to join us. We'll announce that. But always remember, when you listen to us, if you're interested and you like following this, we've been getting some great comments. If you just right below here, you can uh, subscribe and get... Uh, more stuff that we're going to be producing. And if you have somebody out there that you think would be a great achiever, that's achieved certain levels that you think would be a great person for us to interview, please uh, email us at wycmediapod at gmail.com, wycmediapod.com. So give us your comments. We're always looking to improve ourselves and break through different ceilings. We're trying to evolve. All right. That's what we're here to do is break through our ceiling. And, and we call our listener the achiever. And the achiever is somebody who is going after that next level. There's always a new ceiling. There's always something to break through. So we've got a, a theme today. Our theme today is uh, success by serving. And one of the things that uh, Scott's really passionate about is serving others. So Paul, when you hear the phrase success by serving, what, what comes to mind for you? I think it's a great way to grow a company. And I think you find most successful people love to serve people. And when you're helping people, you're serving people. And I think that's a, a big part of uh, most successful people. If you ever talk to them, they usually love to serve people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Scott, how about you? When, you? when you think of success by serving, how does that make you feel? How does that inspire you? You know, I think that's how I was brought up, right? I'll give the credit to my mother and my father, right? But, but, but my mother, for sure, you know, she, she brought us up to have a good moral compass and to, to help the neighbors, right? And help the people around us. Mm -hmm. And she almost always did it through food. And wine, right? And entertainment. And she was a singer, right? So she could sing. So it was just fun to see her do her thing with people. And it was always to make them feel better and put them at ease. 
right? Yeah. That, that was her whole goal, you know, in life was to, you know, just try to make an impression. Yeah, you know what? When, you, when you're serving people, you feel better too. I think it's a, it's a gratitude type of an attitude. I think it's like if you give gifts, and as you get, as we just talked about getting older, you, you realize right. the, the gift of giving is better than the gift of receiving, right? Yes. And yes. I think that's something that people miss out on. They don't see that, that if I serve others, well, they're not serving me. What am I going to get in return? Well, actually, you have to serve first. When you serve first, you actually get more in return. Right. And, and many people miss that point. And I think we all see it. Well, I shouldn't say if you're lucky enough to have kids or if you want to have kids, you see it through your children, right? Because I mean, I think that as parents, you naturally give to your kids and then you see them blossom and you realize, wow, they've developed into great human beings. And if you can do that in a smaller scale or within your business or within the community, uh, and you can give those little kind of pieces out here and there, the return is, you know, tenfold always. Absolutely. Scott, you just told us a little bit ago, you started in the restaurant business when you were 26 yep. and you've been in the business for 26 years. So that's kind of cool. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the restaurant world and why you were attracted to that. You know, and again, I just spoke about my mother and uh, she was a trained chef and we moved nine times in and out of the United States into Europe and back. And every time we moved, we spent, you know, six to eight weeks house hunting, my mother did. And so we spent six to eight weeks eating out. Right. But once we actually developed, so if we were in Europe, we were, you know, she was taking us to the best Indian restaurants, the best French restaurants, the best British restaurants, if there were breast British restaurants at the time. They're better now, but at the time they weren't so great. Um, but she would always take us to the best, right? She would try to find it. Not the most expensive, but what she considered the best. And so, and then once we were home, uh, then she started to cook again. And her food yeah. was tremendous. And she was always having people over. And she was a she was a wine glass in one hand, Eve cigarette, 120s in another, mm -hmm. and a gown, you know, hair done up and, and uh, you know, entertaining people and just having people in her home. It was just kind of a, the way we were brought up, you know? And so it was just a great way to kind of understand that people are people no matter where they're from. If yeah. you treat them nice and take care of them and offer them hospitality, they will become. Your, your mother was your example. She was. Well, my she father was a wine collector and yeah. drinker and a big, big presence, right? And okay. so, you know, yeah. there was, yeah, and she was, he's six, seven, 300 plus pounds. She was five, one. Wow. <laughs> right. So, you know, and they, to see them together was just kind of mesmerizing as a kid, right? Yeah. So it was, it was fun. You know, you talk about serving first. You've learned that, but. The different cultures in different countries you lived in, did you see quite a bit of different variance in the way people served or gave? Growing up, you know, kind of, you know, even in from coast to coast, right? From California, the Midwest to, to the East Coast, there's just very different feel of how people were. And I can talk yes. about that a little bit too. But in general, no. I mean, they had their different culture, right? They had their different standard. Mm -hmm. But if you treat them well, the response is almost always the same. They'll treat you well back, right? I mean, there's yeah. no, there was really never... That's why I, I always said people were easy. I don't want to make that sound like they're they're not important because that's not what I'm saying. It's just that if, if you treat them well and if you actually are genuinely doing it, mm -hmm. the response will be great. And the ones that don't really give you a good response are probably people you don't really want to be around anyways. Right? Yeah. And so we all meet people that are more selfish or more self-centered. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that those are the people that my mom probably would have avoided. And so hence I do. Right. So that's why I like community. You know, yeah. Things like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got into the restaurant business you expanded to to expand in that many restaurants as anybody knows in my opinion and we, we you know we've talked earlier about you know a lot of businesses uh, going in and out of business but i've been in the restaurant business i've been in the bar business and i can tell you to be able to run a uh, restaurant bar is probably one of the most challenging businesses in my opinion you can be in it's certainly hard to manage. You got lots of different variables, right? You got people, environment, government, cities, states. I mean, you got so many things that are affecting you. Besides, you know, 
if you're in a restaurant, you know, every time I see a plate go out, and this is, you know, this is a restaurant thing, and I'm not sure who who thinks this way, but whenever I, like, I just, I just sent out a, a, a great dish yesterday, and, and it was chicken marsala, right? Very traditional, basic, comforting dish. But it hit the table, and I'm looking at this thing going, damn, that is so good looking. And, you know, and, and I went and ordered one and got one. It was so tasty and, and good. And I, if you think about just that dish from wherever it came from, whatever chicken farm it came from, all the way down, you know, the process to us. And then we actually take care of it. We prepare it. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong just in that dish alone. So when I see it hit the table and looking beautiful, man, people don't realize how much work really goes in to that plate, right? And they eat it in like 15 minutes, gone, right? You know, they're happy and I'm happy, but it's but like for me, fine it's, art. It is. And it's gone, right? It's gone, right? I mean, and if you do it over and over again, it's even harder, right? So like, because you want that dish to be very consistent. So man, it's it's tough and it's, 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 uh, it's, I think it's undervalued on what people really think goes into a dish. What made you get into the restaurant business? How did you come up, decide what you're going to do for a career? I mean, where were you? How did you make that you decision? You know, again, I'll go back to my mother. You know, we, we spent so much time in the, in, the, in the hospitality industry by just moving, right? Yeah. And then uh, when I was uh, 16, my dad asked me, came in, you know, I remember him saying, you know, what do you want to do with your life? You know, it's about, it's about that time. And I said, I want to be a long haul trucker and I want to, or I want to be in the restaurant business. And I think he was going to cry. Right? I think he thought both those careers were terrible choices. Right. But he was supportive. And we went out and looked at a Mack truck dealership. And I think a Mack truck at the time in 1986 was $120,000 worth of bed or a four year degree was 40,000. And I thought, man, I think I can afford a $40,000, you know, future more than $120,000 future. So I went down the hotel restaurant management side more mm -hmm. than the Long haul trucker side, you know, on that side. So. Your, your dad knew what he was doing. <laughs> I'm sure he's pushing me one way. I'm not sure he wanted me to do either, really, but he pushed me at least in that. But I will say those truckers, they do well. They do great. And they I think, still, well. by the way, I still think I, I would have been happy doing it. So. Right. Right, right. So I think it was yeah. great. But that's kind of how I got started. And so I was a busboy and a houseman, uh, you know, I mean, I, I dishwasher, right? I did all those jobs. You know, I was a dishwasher in a, my favorite Asian restaurant in Illinois. I think I was 14 or 15. Um, and I remember burning my hands on those little grills. Do you remember little the little uh, purple jelly, pink jelly? Oh, that yeah. You put under the, the heat. You put your little saute that you can yeah. grill your meat on top. And, you know, those would come back and there would mix an addition. I put my hand on one and it felt like I was in this, you know, the, uh, you know, the movie where I just sizzle. I can hear my hand sizzle <laughs> as I touched it. I'm like, Ugh! and then I remember the, the, the Asian right. uh, uh, chef, the owner, laughing. Ah, right. <laughs> we'll do that again. I'm like, no, I will not. Right? You know, so you learn. But, but I mean, yeah. even those experiences were great. And I remember he invited me to the to his dinner table after I worked for him for about three weeks. And he basically said, yeah, you've earned the ability to eat with us. So I got to eat, you know, his meal at the end of the night with with his family and you know things like oh, that. Wow. So even that became these little successes in life. You know that that uh, you get invited to because every time I would finish my, he would give me some food, but I'd have to go eat or take it home. Right. And then eventually, I think I earned enough respect where he'd let me, you know, sit down and eat with him at the end of the night. So like, there's all these great things, and you know, and he's he didn't speak hardly any, any. Yes. But made some great food. And where was that at? That was in uh, Chicago. That was in so, Chicago. Right. Yeah. Old P King was the name of the restaurant. King. Is that South Side of Chicago? Uh, my mother grew up in the South Side. No, this was, and I, when I say Chicago, this is actually uh, Wheaton, Illinois, so the west right. western right. suburbs. Right. Yep. Um, but no, Old P King in the Ogden Mall. It was, it was a great first job. And then I was a busboy. Like, again, and then I worked my way up to, to management. And, and tended bar. I tended bar at Jimmy's American Cafe, you know, here in, oh, yeah. in West Des Moines. For Jimmy. <laughs> For Jimmy. Another great restaurant tour. Crazy guy. Sometimes people have their own, you know, thoughts yeah. about him. But, but well, uh, Jimmy owns Chop House. 801 Steak and Chop House. And, uh, Is he uh, still active? You know, I haven't seen Jimmy in... 
15 years. So I, I believe he is still involved in his restaurants. I just don't, I don't, we don't run the same circles. So you go from, so you go to college, you get your first gig in Chicago, and then where do you evolve from there? You know, it just, it just really went, you know, I wanted to go to school. So I went to school on the East Coast for hotel restaurant management. I graduated high school outside of Philadelphia. And then, uh, you know, kind of halfway through that degree, I realized if I really want to own a business and be in the restaurant business that I, I thought I needed to make a change and get my degree in, in business. And so we had lived in Wheaton, Illinois, and then we had moved to um, Philadelphia area. And my brother had graduated high school when we were in Wheaton. And so he had come to Drake. And I'd visited him a couple of times and he actually, it was one of those clarity moments. That's another story, but I was going to go to Penn state. And he said, I think if you go to Penn state, you'll never graduate. Cause I think he was probably <laughs> right. I like people. I like to have fun and not that Drake's not fun, but you know, different kind of fun. And so I ended up long story short coming, driving to Drake. Yeah, I applied two weeks before enrollment and yeah. got accepted. I still know my, I still know my, uh, uh, we're friends actually, the lady that accepted me to Drake university. Cause she thought it was crazy that I wanted to come within two weeks of the school starting, <laughs> but they got me in. I slept on the couch for a couple of weeks, you know, cause I had nowhere to live. And then, uh, you know, got my degree at Drake and never left Des Moines. You know, I, you know, I thought I'd move again. I mean, nine times before I graduated high school, I thought I'm going to move nine more times before I done with my career. I was okay with that, but, but, uh, never left Des Moines. Well, wow. and then you raised what? Three kids, three great kids. Yeah. yeah. And they all graduated here and. My daughter uh, just graduated in May from Drake, and oh. my son uh, is a sophomore at Iowa State, and then uh, I have a, a junior in high school. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm on the other end of that of, yeah. that of that life cycle with the kids, but but they're all good kids. That goes fast. It does sure. too fast, too fast. <laughs> now, so you, when did you make that move? Decide to run your own shop? You know, I think that was always the goal. And actually, you know, and again, these, I always call them happy accidents, right? Because I, I think I look at the glass very half full. But, you know, I was planning on going back to Philadelphia after I graduated from Drake University. Um, worked for Jimmy. I was a West End bartender, you know, at the West End Lounge by Drake, you know, and just loved all that stuff. And I was going back. I was, I'd gone back to Philadelphia for some internships to work, you know, with, with some restaurant tour hotel guys out there and had a great experience. But and some of and it's, I'm blessed that they actually let me come to some of their meetings, trying to see them get their purchases done if they wanted to buy property in Pennsylvania. Some of these some of these buildings were owned by 25 people because there's such a history of time and lineage in those. And so just trying to get any deal done was brutal. And so, and then if you got a deal done, the restaurant scene was really competitive and really tiny spaces. You, if you've eaten in Philadelphia, New York, I mean, you're, you're crammed, right? In these little spaces, again, all fine. But I started to realize, you know, I might be able to be a little more successful and be a little bit bigger fish in Des Moines mm -hmm. than trying to go make my mm -hmm. headway in Philadelphia or New York or Chicago. And so I just said, let's try here first. I met my wife. She's, she was my girlfriend in college. She's from Des Moines. And uh, I said, hey, let me, I'll try here first. But if not, I'm going to probably have to move. And well, I'm still here. So it worked out. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. So sorry, that's probably a long, yeah. a long no, response. No, no, but basically, that, that, you know, you know uh, right. again, just kind of, I don't think we ever can pick our path, right? We just take the best road we can. And, yeah. and I think if you do it with the right attitude, you're, you're going you're to hit success no matter where you are. In getting started, what was the biggest challenge for you? You know, you, you talk about the staffing. There's a lot of different right. things. There's understanding the financials. Getting right. started, what was I the think biggest, the biggest challenge? And I, and I actually was in Kosovo a couple of years ago with some entrepreneurs trying to get their country to do more, right? Be more. But uh, I think the biggest challenge is knowing you can, right? I mean, mm. I, it took me a little while. You know, I, I always wanted to own my own restaurant, but saying it. I mean, how many people, we all say things. I want to own my own yacht. I want to own my own business. I want, but right. and actually getting to the fruition of getting it done is such a different thing. So I remember for a while I said, can I do this? Am I even worthy of doing this? And can I make it? Or am I going to, 
put my family in, or my new wife in jeopardy, right? And so I remember there was that internal struggle of, can I do this? And I, and I, and I do remember, uh, I can't give you a date or a time, but I do remember the kind of epiphany of like, I can't. Right. And it, it was a total shift in how I thought. Right. Like I remember saying, yeah, I can do this. And I remember my brother saying to me later in life going, Scott, you talked about owning your own restaurant and doing your own thing and, and developing a concept. And he goes, and you did it. Right. He goes, I didn't. He goes, as your brother, I didn't think you were going to be able to get it done. It's a tough business. Right. But he was proud. Right. He was proud. Yeah, but I think totally. he was just had that real moment of saying, hey, that's impressive, man. You got there. You know, and that was the first restaurant. So, That's cool. You know, that was just a nice experience. And and then and once you break that barrier, right, once you go over that, you realize there's a reward on the other side, not just financially, but just an independence and seeing other people get, you know, uh, happy about what you're doing and encouragement from your friends and making the community a little bit of a better place. You, you realize that, you know, it's more than just the concept of what you thought success was. You just have a whole different view on the world once you kind of go over that barrier. Right. Once you put the work in and you kind of put the stress in and you, you kind of had the heart attack moments going through and the, the oh, oh shit, you know, you know, moments going through. You start to have that epiphany right. that, you know what, you can get this done. It's, well, it's doable. So you go out. How many years after college did you work your apprenticeship, I would call, before you decide I'm going to get my own keys and open the door. Well, you know, I started dishwashing when I was 14, right? You know, and, 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 and by the way, I did nothing else, right? I was always in the restaurant business from that point forward. And then I graduated from Drake in 93, and I worked for the Drake Diner, uh, managed the Drake Diner. And I actually did the Drake Diner, the West End Diner, the North End Diner, the, the, the other ones are gone, Drake's still there. Uh, they actually had the commissary of food work at, at Principal Park at that time, so I got to do a little bit of work there. And Bill Knapp, believe it or not, was looking at doing a brewery on the river that kind of collapsed it all didn't collapse like in the river, but the, mm -hmm. the idea collapsed, right? The city of Des Moines wasn't ready. The Corps of Engineers was not real happy about putting a restaurant in the river or on the river. And so those those plans just kind of faded away. And uh, I remember saying, hey, I'm, I like that idea and I like the research that was done. And so I started looking downtown for a, a spot for a brewery. So, so Court Avenue was your first? Court Avenue was number one. And I did it with a for a group out of Kansas City called Casey Hops. So yeah, I was their employee, but I was their kind of home, like their homegrown employee, right? They're one, you know, they're a local guy. And how soon after court did you add on your other locations? You know, so it was actually, I, I did court for three years, left, by the way, for about two okay. years, right? And then came back um, in 01. And so, uh, and then never, never left again. But so I would say from 01, and then I did uh, Americana's, you know, 13 years old, I have a craft beer tent, which is a concession at the fair, but also lots of other events, 13 years old. And then uh, Gilroy's is seven years old. So, oh, so a little time. And actually, when you ask about, you know, maybe not not regrets, I wish I would have grown probably faster. And again, not to grow bigger. That was not it. But but we talked about developing people. Yes. There was people I probably could have developed that now would have their own restaurants that probably don't. Right. And yeah. I, I regret, I guess, not seeing that maybe opportunity in them where I could have said, hey, you know, there could have been real growth for these folks that I'm working with. I, I want to talk more about that because you, you you mentioned to us earlier how you've developed people to run the other locations that you have. Right. Tell us that focus. And again, coming back to serving and that recognition that you just mentioned that, God, I wish I would have done that sooner. And and what impact has that had? Well, it, it, it's really what makes me run, right? So I was pretty fortunate. We had lots of managers and GMs and AGMs and chefs come through Court Avenue, right? Court Avenue has been a, kind of a staple in the community. 
And so they would work for a couple, three or four years. And then they would ask me to, hey, give my notice. I want to go work for, a, you know, another restaurant, you know, or I want to work for a hotel or I want to work for, there's another, a new restaurant opening. I want to be their chef. I want to be their manager. And I would, I was like the biggest cheerleader, right? Send them on their way. You know, what do you, here's, take all of our information, take our employee manuals, use what you want, take what you want, you know, good luck. Thanks for all the hard work. You know, I'm just so excited you're staying in the industry because some people get burned out and get out and have a, a negative feeling towards. So I was just, I, I saw these people in my mind as pure success because they were staying. And then the penny dropped a little bit saying, hey, I keep developing people and then sending them out or letting them go. And some of these people did their own thing. They weren't asking me, they were going, right, to do their own thing. But some I could see like, hey, I think they just wanna, they wanna do their own thing more than really go work for somebody else. They just want a new concept or a new challenge. And so I started to look at people that had come through and I said, hey, I think these people have the ability to do their own concept. And that's kind of how I grew. So I wasn't out of pure, like I want more. It's just, I saw more in people and let them grow and it made them managing partners and had them have ownership and have them just kind of really be the face of that new place. And it was really a success from almost from the get go, right? I mean, even if we didn't make money, it was success because I could, I could see them grow, right? I could see them do things and hire people and build a business and put people to work, right? You know, Scott, you know, this is really, I see you, you got a passion for what you do right. and, I, and I love that. But, you know, I, I've been in different types of businesses. And, and, and one thing about the, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in a restaurant. You know, looking at a restaurant bar, you, you, you're dealing with a cook, a waiter, a waitress. You're dealing with a manager, accounting. You're dealing with vendors, beer vendors, food vendors, multiple. And then you also entertainment. Uh, then you got to deal with advertisement. I don't know. I'm probably missing a few things. Food code, <laughs> food code, legal, landlords, and, and landlords, right? Cities and entertainment districts, and music and sound variances, and ADA, and you know, I mean, you you name it. It's you 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 get hit by all, and you, you and, do. and I get hit by not as much anymore because I think the world just works differently. You know, five to ten people on my door wanting to do business with me every week yeah. to sell me something, right? Yeah. Now, so. Putting all those moving parts together, in my opinion, takes a leader and an engineer to be able to do that. So you've obviously been in the business long enough, you know what you're doing. You've built people that went out and started their own uh, businesses. Could you just kind of walk us through how you put the glue together with all that? I mean, you know, because the accounting is important and we talked about that before. Right. And I think we find uh, you got to know your numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, and to achieve certain levels and going through different ceilings, you got and to scale, you got to master all these, right? At a right. certain level to be able to bring somebody to do it. So give us a little bit of how you accomplish that. Now that you have four restaurant and bars, um, I mean that's that's amazing that right. you can, you can do something like that. So if you give us some insight, well, some uh, young people out there that want to get into the restaurant business or older people. Right. Uh, right. I, again, I'm fortunate enough to talk, talk to like Iowa State, Drake University, DMAC, right? I get to you know talk to right. students. And one of the things I will say, and then talks a little bit about this and I'll get, I'll get to your to kind of the heart of your, of your question. But I'll say I meet a lot of really, really smart people. And I, re, I, I meet a lot of really, really hardworking people. The real gem is smart, hardworking people. I think some really smart people think success is not working hard eventually. And then I think, you know, people that work hard sometimes can't get, you know, can't get through the other side, right? They just work harder to be, you know, they think harder work is success, not smarter work, right? So, um, and then every once in a while you find that. So when I talk to the students, I always say, guys, you know, find that balance. You can't, there's no, there's no magic pill, right? You have to work, right? If you happen to be bright, 
then use that and still work hard and you'll be successful. It doesn't mean life can't become more imbalanced for you at one time, but it, the issue is you can't do it without work. Right. And I think that's, I, I can see it in some students that, that they don't like that answer. Right. I mean, they're like, well, you know, but I go then, but, you know, if your goal is not to work, then that, that should be your goal. Right. To maybe retire at 50 or 40, whatever you want to do, but, but then you still have to get there. Right. You still have to put the work in to get to that, that, that point of whatever you think success is. But then I talk about my people, the people that I've been fortunate enough to work with. We always talk about financial acumen, right? Where they have to know how to read our books. I have a great accountant, right? So I'm not asking them to be an accountant, you know, but I need them to understand when those books come to us every four weeks, exactly what they mean and where are we missing? Because numbers just don't lie, right? And so we go through that, but most of all, you know, minus all of those things, are they ethical? You know, are they positive? Can they build a team? Can they take somebody that they know and open a restaurant with them in the future so they have the next restaurant? And they just come to me and say, hey, Scott, would you like to invest? But I'm not putting my house up on, you know, the bank, you know, the bank note or my property on the bank note. They're going to put theirs on, right? So I'm always looking for, you know, can I see somebody out there that's, you know, kind of going to be able to take maybe what I've done and develop people and grow, you know, through people, you know, can they take the next person, the next young person they see or younger person and say, hey, I think this person's got a great work ethic, probably a really good concept, a good idea of what they want to do. And I believe in it and I believe in them. And then they grow them to the next level. That would be, for me, that would be my next ceiling, right? I haven't had it yet, right? But that's my next ceiling. One of my, one of my partners develops somebody to become their partner. And all I'm, a, maybe not even an investor, but just a, right, you know, kind of the next thing, right? Yeah, building. I, I really want to point out to our achievers out there what just happened here. Because I think that's powerful is you've got to develop your team. Right. And you realize that that was something that was missing. And so you changed your behavior right. so you could find new opportunities for your people. Right. And I think that's a huge thing is you've got to develop your team. And if you don't, you are sending them off. And it's great that they stayed in the industry, but think of how many more restaurants you could have had or, or more opportunities of great right. people that you would have. And I don't know, right? That, that's the that's, right. that's kind of my like, ah, because there were so many people that were developed that went out. And by the way, they're in the market doing their own thing. So it's not like they right. aren't successful, right? So they're out there. Right. But it's like, did, how many did I miss, right? How many did I miss that just didn't have that opportunity, right, to do but it? But you, you also said smart and hardworking. Right. And I think that's a critical thing is we've got to look for people that are smart and hardworking, and you've got to be selective. Right, right. So tell us, you have, a, you have an application, somebody fills it out, they want to work for you. Are you looking at education, background, experience, no experience, attitude? What are you looking for in, a, in an employee? I will almost always look for personality and, and kind of, you know, are they are they hospitable? You know, when they come to see me, man or woman, are they put together, right? Um, I'm not saying coat and tie, but just put together, right? Are they, uh, are they smiling? Are they making eye contact? Um, do they ask the right questions? You know, I always, I almost, and I don't do much interviewing, or hardly any more for like, you know, a server or a waiter or a bartender. But if somebody actually came to me and said, I want to work for Court Avenue Brewing Company, somewhere in their in their conversation, they were like 90% up the ladder, right? But I was amazed how people I interviewed that never said that. I, I saw you wanted to need a bartender, so that's why I'm here. And I'm like, okay, you know, blah, blah. But they never said I want it's to about work. about the job. I, I don't want to work for, you know, I go, I don't, but if they say, I, want to, I, I love Court Avenue. I've been here before. I, I want to work here. Right. And I'm like, whoop, you're, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, you're in, right. So you I always sell. tell people as they, you know, <laughs> when you go do, do your research on whoever you interview, if it's going to be for John Deere, go do your John Deere and your research. So when you're in the interview process, you can tell them a little bit about themselves. Right. And then say, Hey, I, you know, John Deere's a great company. I want to work for John Deere. Right. Because blah, 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 blah. Right. Whatever that reason may be. And I think you're going to put yourself always at a high level, but I'm always looking for people. 
right? I can teach business acumen. I can teach inventory. I can teach, you know, all the hard skills, you know, but I can't teach personality. I can't teach hospitality. I can't teach smiling. I can't teach eye contact. A gentleman, Paul Trostell, Trostell's Greenbrier, he's passed away. Yeah, I know Paul. And he would say, you know what's freaking free? But he didn't say freaking. Yeah. You know what's freaking free? A smile and a handshake. And he goes, if, if my managers aren't giving those away every day, all day, then I don't know what I'm doing wrong. He goes, because yeah, it's just he, a free thing to give out. And everybody likes a smile and a handshake. Right. So some of this stuff is just basic. That's stuff you can't teach. Right. Right. And, t- and Paul's yeah. a tough dude. So don't get me wrong. Right. There yeah. was a steely side to Paul, oh, which yeah. I love. My wife loved that guy. Yeah. You know, but, but, uh, but so, I mean, he had his own faults. But the issue is he was a great hospitality guy. Right. He mm-hmm. understood what it takes to become a really great restaurant. Yes. It, it, it is. It, you know, and we talk about it. You know, Monty and I talked with uh, our watchers, our achievers, and talk about how important people are. And you can't do it on your own island. Nope. You got to bring you got to bring people to build and scale. It takes people, and it takes the right type of people, and that's really important. And you're a good example, obviously, a, a leader and a teacher, because you know you can be an entrepreneur and you can go out there and be pretty successful at a certain level, but you're going to hit your ceiling. But but talking to you today, Scott, I think uh, you know listening to you, you're you're not only showing leadership, you're you're, you're a teacher. And I can say, in my experience, I'm not as a good teacher as I probably I can lead, but th- that teaching component is huge um, because if you can teach somebody and show them the roadmap, it makes a difference. The sky's um, the limit once you give people the knowledge, right? I mean, it's for them, for them, yeah. right? And, and if you happen to be able to tag along like I have for these other people, then, then my personal wealth grows too. But that wasn't my intent. My intent was to see them blossom. Mm-hmm. What the, the piece I got back was, was some financial income right but the issue is i just wanted to see them grow right i just wanted to see them do their thing i mean no nobody really should go in the restaurant business expecting to make a bunch of money right (laughs) that should not be the goal right because it's just it's such a rare thing but you know for me it was never about it it was always about seeing them kind of you know kind of make their goal right i want to be an owner i want to have my own place right and i think a lot of people if that's truly their goal the financial you know the gifts will come but even if they break even or even if they're just kind of working their job paying themselves to have a job that's what they want to do. Yeah, they've already won it, right? They're already they're already yeah. way ahead of most people. They're yeah. not they're not punching the clock or sitting in their cubicle saying, "Man, I hate my job." They're going to work saying, "I love my job." Right. right, Scott. Where where do you learn? Where do you get your insights from and and keep your your knowledge base growing? I know you you've been part of different associations and right, right. Um, you know that's a great question, and in uh, it it sounds probably again I'm going back. You know, I think just moving. You know, I moved so much growing up that. If I listen to people and I can be a bit of a chameleon and, I, and I'm not that I want to copy who they are because that's not what I'm saying. You know, if we hung out more, right? If I was with you, Monty, I really want to know what makes you tick, right? And I want to go do what you do. So for instance, uh, my partner at the Hourcraft Beer Tank, Steve Lynn, genius guy for like, you know, getting things done, making sure everything's in order. You know, he's probably, probably an engineer, should have been an engineer, right? He, he just knows how to make things work, right? And work really well. We went to Las Vegas for a convention and he likes to race cars right or like so he took me out racing i would never have done it right but i got to go race you know cars and had a freaking ball with that guy right and kind of jumped in his world for a little while he got me out of my comfort zone so i'm always looking for people to get me out of my comfort zone but i want to do something right you know i don't want to be i don't want to be in the corner intimidated out of my comfort zone like but i want to go out and experience somebody else's like what what makes them give them real joy right and normally i'm like hey not for me but i just i just went uh snorkeling uh i did a two and a half hour swim in Grand Cayman. And I never, I'd never been to Grand Cayman. 
And I remember coming out of that water and I think you name it, I saw it that day, right? I saw everything that you could think of in the water. And I just remember going, why didn't I not come here 20 years ago? Why did I, and I'm not sure I'm going to need to go back, but it was a, a tremendous, and again, I went because I was with divers and I didn't dive. We just went snorkeling because I don't dive, mm-hmm. but they took me out in a two and a half hour swim, which I wasn't sure I could do to say, you know, I'm like, I think I've swam, you know, two laps in my life. Right. You know, but, <laughs> but you're in the ocean and you're floating around with fins. It works a lot easier. But the issue is, you know, I'm, I'm a big experience guy, right? I'll say yes. If you call me up and say, I want to go to a concert, if you got tickets, I'm going, right? You know, I mean, so, or, or vice versa, I'll, I'll, I'll make that same call. Hey, I got tickets. You want to come? You know, I'm always looking for that kind of experiential stuff and kind of what makes people who they are. And, and again, some people will say, well, do you regret not doing what you always want to do? And I'm like, dude, I can do what I want to do anytime I want to do it, right? For the most part, you know, but in general, I don't know what I don't know. So if I can go do something with somebody else that has, you know, climbed Kilimanjaro and got me to somehow talk me, I haven't done it, but talks me into going, I'm going to come back a better person, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always willing to kind of jump in. So the answer is a kind of weird way to answer your question. I love that. I, I just don't, I, I don't say no very often. It's, it's about it, experience. It, it can get me in trouble, by the way. Yeah. But yeah. I don't say no very often. My <laughs> wife sometimes says, I don't know how you do it. Aren't you worn out? And I'm like, ah, because she's not the one she won't, she won't join me. You know, half the time she's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Have fun. Go. We talk about that, Scott. You know, we talk about getting out of your comfort zone. Right. And if you're going to go through a different level and different ceiling, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to go through so. a little pain, get out of the comfort zone. And, and then you find out that that's where the gro- real growth is. Right. I've sat in church and I'm not a big church goer. My wife is, so she's, you know, she, she gets me to go. Uh, but I have sat in church and I feel on, when they're talking about something, right? Maybe about society, maybe about, and I've, I've been where I'm like uncomfortable. And I remember saying at the church to my wife or somebody else, I said, I just learned something about myself, right? Because anytime I'm uncomfortable, I'm learning. When I'm really comfortable, I'm learning nothing. Right? You're, I, you're I, an I'm, idol. I'm, I'm still doing things. I'm still working, right? I'm still making progress from my own knowledge, but I'm not growing personally. But, I mean, there's never been a time. And if you think, and by the way, folks, your own comfort doesn't have to be in church. If you get close to a cliff, right? You, right. you realize heights aren't your thing, right? I mean, so think about when you're, un- you know, so the, the uncomfortableness can save your life, you know, sometimes. But the issue is if you take it and then try to figure out why you're uncomfortable and then try to get comfortable with it, it's huge. I mean, like, I'm not afraid of many things, so that's pretty nice for me. But but uh, I'm afraid of sharks, and I was in the ocean, so you know. Yeah. You know. How do you teach these things to your children? You know, you you spend a lot of time. You're, you're getting uncomfortable. You're doing experiences. How how have you taught some of this to your children? Some of these same concepts. You know, I think you know, I think we always probably regret what we don't teach our kids, right? So I would say I probably haven't done as good a job with my kids. Although I always take them right. Sometimes they don't go where I go, right? They won't jump in the ocean. They won't do the things I'm going to go do, even though I'm scared, right? Of sharks in the ocean. But uh, I have always brought them along, right? So if there's something happening that I think they could probably just enjoy or see or feel or touch, and I put them to work. I mean, my daughter ran the Iowa Craft Beer Tent, all the cash, all the ID when she was 15. Oh, that's amazing. 11 days straight, 10 hours a day, <laughs> no days off, right? And people were like, well, can you do that? I'm like, you know what? I love about Iowa. We're a farm state. So That's guess right. what? I don't even, I don't have to pay my kids. I don't have to give them time <laughs> off, you know, but, but I do, I pay them and they get, you know, I, I feed them, you know, when they're working. But the issue is they know how to work. Right. And right. you know, they get to, so I do try to get them to experience things and, and, I, and I hopefully make it fun. Like all my kids work the fair and they all love it. And it's a yeah. ball buster of time. I mean, it is a, a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work, but they all like, you know, like it's great. You know, and I get to work with them, right? It's, it's a rare thing in life when you can spend that much time with your kids. And they oh, get to see fun. you also kind of in your element. I mean, on day three, my voice is shot. 
Yeah. Right. And then I try to doctor it back up and, you know, and I can make it work, but you know, they'll see me just run, you know, my gas tank to empty. Right. And then get up the next day and do, do it, it again, all over right? again. You know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. And, and, and just see that there's no, there is no stop. Right. There's no, Hey, I can't call in sick today. Fair's not going to not open up, you know, so it's just kind of you show you know, up. seeing those things. And, but, and then they see, and I think they do see, and, and I know I see it, you know, I'll walk into the fair at seven in the morning. I mean, I'm tired. And the first customer walks up at nine to get a beer and I'm like, Hey, what's up? And then all of a sudden I just start, people give me my energy. Right. So I'm an extrovert. And I started to learn during COVID introverts are the opposite, right? They were, they were blossoming during COVID. They were, they love the fact that they didn't have to kind of expel all that energy, you know, with people. And I started to, you know, put weight on and, you know, <laughs> got a little bit, you know, I think one of the questions you were going to ask was, you know, how many, and I'm a different person from COVID, right? I'm, I become more introverted, even though I'm still a good extrovert, but I become also a little, I would say a little less happy, right? A little less happy, go, I shouldn't say happy, happy go lucky, right. right? I learned that, you know, the world is not going to be always okay. And so mm -hmm. I started, I did tone myself down a little bit because if I saw you and you looked a little sad, I'd be, I'd be all like, what's going on? How you doing, man? Let's get you over that. Yeah. And I realized sometimes there's not an answer, right? There's not a moment, in that moment, there's not an answer. So I have pulled back on some of that. Oh, that's kind good. of rhetoric, you know, that I used to yeah. try to turn that frown upside down, you know, and I'm like, man, maybe that's self-awareness. It is right. Self-awareness of how you're impacting others and where others are at. Right. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a, a huge awareness. Now, Scott, give us three things that you would say, what is it in a restaurant business? Give us three things that you would think that makes that successful in that business. I think concept and, and, when I say concept, people come to me all the time with a concept. So those aren't hard to find. But I always say, where do you want to do your restaurant? And then I say, so like we're in an older building here, right? Um, so I might go and see where the building is and then I'll find a concept that fits the neighborhood, the economy, you know, the, the history, right? I mean, so I, there's tons of concepts, but the concept has to fit the place or the location or the community, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I see that missed all the time. I just want to open up a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do people want that in your community? Can they afford it in your community? You know what, I mean, what's the, you know, have you done the economics, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the, so when I say concept, it's not the concept, it's the whole concept. Does everything fit together, right? Mm -hmm. Does the plan work in the community you want it? Does it work in Des Moines, Iowa? What works in Des Moines, Iowa probably does not work in Philadelphia. Probably does not work in LA, right? But so you have to develop your concept too. You gotta have passion, right? You gotta have passion because it's a, it's such hard work in this business that if you don't, like I said at the fair, if you don't somehow get energy from the work, it'll eat you out and spit you out. And, we'll, and, they, and in this industry, it won't care about you, right? It'll just spit you out, right? So you gotta be the kind of person that just likes to kind of be energized. I was born probably ADD, ADHD, just too old to be diagnosed. <laughs> but I realized I need lots of stimulation to stay kind of focused. If, if I like during COVID, I was, it was terrible because I didn't have stimulation. Right. And so I was just kind of like lost. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the third, you know, and we talked about it too, you need to have some financial acumen. You need to know how to run a business. Uh, and if you don't know how to run a business, you know, hire a good accountant, maybe, you know, hire an accountant that has some business analytics to them. Right. Cause some accountants have some of that, you know, can, they can help you with some of that, but you really, and if you don't, there's so many short courses you can take. Yeah. To learn basic accounting, basic finance, right? Basic yeah. marketing, basic, you know, just any of those kind of, you know, you're going to get them regardless. If you stay open long enough, you're going to learn them all through hard work and, mm -hmm. and hard knocks. But but if you can have some of that kind of front loaded for you, um, you're going to be pretty happy. And I think, and, and I, I do say to my most students, if you can pick a minor, I would pick economics. You know, so if, you know, I think okay. if you, that way, wherever you move, like, you know, I, I, you know we're, we happen to be in Des Moines, so I'll say to my 
the students, what makes Des Moines tick? And they'll blurt out a few things. I'm like, no, no. I said, we're an insurance capital and banks follow insurance companies. So we're a banking and insurance mecca. Yep. And I said, now, who is that? Well, I don't know. I said, well, they probably have a house in the suburbs and probably have a dog and a cat. And they probably have their houses probably beige with white trim. And they probably mow the grass once a week. And they probably want, <laughs> if, they, if, if one and a half dogs is national average, they would like to have one and a half dogs, but they can't. So they'll probably have one or two. You know, they just, they, they're very, they want to be, you know, work eight to five. They want to go to church. So I said, you can't, you, you got to know that these people are conservative in nature. So you can't come out and go crazy because they're not going to probably react to maybe the idea you have. So I said, but if you're in LA, completely different. They don't even go home to LA because traffic's so bad, right? You know, so I said, it's just a different time, you know, different places, you know. I, I think the three points you just gave can match every industry and every business. Yeah. If you want to build a business, you got to have the right concept. And the, the love, I love what you said the next, it's about the fit fit of the market, fit of the need, fit of the geography, whatever it might be. But then you, you do have to have energy. You, if you don't have the energy, it, you can't push through it. Yeah, it dies. And passion. And, and every, every business, you have to know your numbers. And I, I think it's getting harder and harder in every business that you've got to know your numbers to make the best decisions possible. Uh, I'm working with a client right now to help their team understand their numbers. And we went through and viewed it as you spend a hundred dollars. This is where every penny goes in a hundred dollars right. or right. We, we generate a hundred bucks. And at the end of the day, there's only two bucks left. Right. If that, if that, if that, and restaurants are under a nickel. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, for every dollar you bring in, then I tell people all the time, you know, why are things so expensive? I said, <laughs> So trust me, I'm trying to rub nickels right now. So you know, yeah. let, let us let us you know, trust me. We're, we're we have this down to a science, you know. And so, mm -hmm. um, and you're right. And there's no and other businesses don't have it differently. I mean, there's some great business out there that have huge right. margins, right? And those are the those are the fortunate ones. But even those, once people realize those margins start to shrink, right? Because mm -hmm. then all the suppliers start to raise their price. I mean, they realize these companies <laughs> can afford you know different things. So even the big companies, their margins slide. They yeah. normally don't grow. You know, I, I'd love for to give you a chance to talk about the concept and fit. Give our audience, the achievers, you know, 30 seconds on each of your, your different restaurants and what the concepts are just to, to give you a chance to plug those restaurants. Well, I'll take a little advertising. That's all right. Um, so Court Avenue Brewing Company was the second group of in the state of Iowa. So all I did is I saw the opportunity that, that, that there was, there was none here. Right. And then I got to look downtown and actually I, I found the Court Avenue, uh, the Saturday building, you know, was, was a good location for a brewery. And I didn't know a lot about beer, except I liked it. But I love food, love people. I knew I wanted to be in the hospitality business. And I thought this was a good location. And um, I just think it was time. And now there's 126 breweries, you know, in the state of Iowa. So we were we were right time, right? Now the competition is fierce. And we, you know, we for the time we had none. You know, and, that's, and again, those margins are big when you have none. Right. You know, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that was just great. But we did realize that Iowa, we just talked about the economy, aren't big drinkers. So I said, hey, if we're going to actually get people to drink craft beer, we better be a damn good restaurant because they're going to judge us on our food and service before our beer. So the hope was get them down here for great service, great food, and, and please have a beer or two with dinner. And it worked. I mean, they did, right? And so we gave them good beer, but that was not what drove them. They still were food-oriented, atmosphere, environment-oriented folks, right? So that was kind of how we got them to drink beer. Was I knew we couldn't give them subpar food. Not 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 in the Midwest. Yep. It's, not what they, it's not how they function. They want good comfort, mm -hmm. seasoned, flavorful food. And then we did Americano over in the Gateway, and that was an old car dealership. So that was originally, uh, Manbeck Motors was the last car dealership, and she married Reichardt, you know. Um, but uh, uh, that was an old car, Chrysler car dealership. And so it had that American feel, that kind of, 
you know, motor, motor feel, right. You know, when we were building things, right. And creating things and that kind of stuff. So, you know, Americana, we just celebrated America, right. Kind of things that were, you know, Americana S. So if you go in there, you'll see fighter planes, you'll see some Chrysler pictures, you'll see some prints from Elvis and Warhol and, and, you know, and, and we left that, we, and we rebuilt the first floor in the exact image of what it was. So that tin ceiling is, is new, but matches the, the tin ceiling that was in the, in the Manbeck Mo- or in the motor company. The floor is original, it's the only thing, but then all the walls are, are uh, 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 mahogany. And so we actually put mahogany trim up because that was what was in the, in the, but we put it back, it wasn't there, right? We just, if you look at a picture in there, you'll see it. And then we did American dishes, steaks, seafood, chops, you know, and just kind of did, and we did cocktail culture. So Court Avenue Brewing Company, you know, celebrate America where, you know, we're a cocktail culture over there. So big, big drinks. And then Gilroy's, oh, sorry, the craft beer tent. You know, we saw that there were so many breweries coming. And I said, do we want to compete with every brewery? Or do we want to have a place that brings in every brewery that's coming to town? So we did the Iowa craft beer tent, the Iowa State Fair 13 years ago. And that thing was, we had no idea, guys. <laughs> no idea would we would it be successful? Would, would Iowa even like it? I mean, we're a big bush drinking state. Was it going to work? Well, it's worked out fantastic. And now we do events all over the place, right? So that was just a great, great, happy kind of accident. I mean, we, we went in full full bore, but we just didn't know what the result would be. And then Gilroy's, you know, the, the property came up for sale. And there's always people that want to sell properties or get them done. And so the guy that kind of approached me, I said, hey, I used to work at Jimmy's. That's not why I bought it. But I, I knew yeah. the property, knew the location, liked the parking. Downtown was becoming difficult for parking at that time. Um, and so... I said, hey, it might be nice to be just outside the city, off the expressway. I like the location. It's very convenient. It's got parking. It's kind of between the two cities, right? If you work downtown and you work in the suburbs, you can meet there for a lunch or a dinner or drinks, and you're, you're kind of halfway for everybody. And so we did cold beer, patio, pizzas, appetizers, Moscow mules, margaritas, you know, just kind of that, you know, easy, easy food, easy to order, easy drinks, you know, kind of stuff. So we just kind of work. We, again, we look at the environment to see. And, we're, and if you look at our neighborhood, we're a little uh, white collar, blue collar, right? So we didn't want to be too expensive, right? We wanted to be kind of pretty. We want you to come t- twice a week, not once a month or once every quarter. We wanted you to kind of come there a couple times a week. You know, so we kind of made uh, it a whole different feel. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. Love that you shared that. You, and I love all three concepts and I, I've been to all four. So that's <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm sure I'll see you at the fair or see you at one of the restaurants. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know, Really enjoyed the conversation. One of the last questions we always like to ask is, "What do you want to be known for?" And and I think that's a that's a big question. But you've you love service, you love giving. But what do you want to be known for? You know, and you and you kind of gave me that question, so I've been thinking about that. And and I'm going to go back to kind of my upbringing again. Um, there's a saying in restaurants, and I'm sure somebody said it, but you know, people will not remember what they ate or what they drank, but they will certainly remember how they felt when they left or remember a restaurant or a bar, right? And so I guess for me, it's, and, and, and of course for a restaurant, to feel, we want you to feel good, right? We want that, whatever that feeling is to be, that was a great feeling of when I was at Court Avenue Brewing Company or Americana. Mm-hmm. So I guess for me, I think it's pretty simple. You know, if people leave me or I leave this world, you know, and they think of me, hopefully they have good feelings. I mean, that's, that's who I am. You know, we sell feelings in this business, right? Yeah. You know, you can't return that burger two days later. You can return that shirt anytime you want. Right. So, you know, I always say we have to leave them with a good feeling. So if, if I leave people with a good feeling, I think I win. Right. And, and when I say win, it's not like, Ooh, I win. It's just that I win personally. Yeah. I win. Right. That yes. the people will say, Hey, you know, Scott's a nice guy. You know, he treated me right. Right. That's, I think that's it. Right? Nothing too complicated. I don't, I, I, don't, awesome. I don't have a very big ego, very big passion, but not a very big ego. You know, well, that's great. That's great. You know, 
you're a macro guy. You look at things in a macro vision. And usually a guy with that type of a macro vision isn't as analytical as you are. I find people. So it's interesting. You, you are, I would call a fairly well-balanced guy. And uh, that's great. That's and that's great. led to a lot of your success. Yeah. And my success at home too, right? I mean, I try to give everybody their, their share, right? Their, yeah. You know, time. And, and then when I'm there, I try to be, you know, you know, I can't give it, I can't give all my time to all the places, but when I'm with them, I want to give my time to them all. Oh, that's a gift. Right. And that's, that's probably one of your biggest gifts. I can tell you that because most people in business, small businesses are just, they're, you know, they're busy working, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Sometimes you do have to step back and look at what you're doing. But, Absolutely. Uh, no, this has been great, Scott. Uh, appreciate it that you came out today and, uh, been a pleasure. Buddy. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of your takeaways that you gained from Scott today? Well, you know, you're, you're there to serve and, and to have passion and to serve that person is huge. And uh, that's what we're all about. I yeah. mean, if you're a business person, you're out to serve people and, and uh, make them feel better and hopefully make the everything just a little bit better. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I loved how you started off. People are people no matter where you're at. And you serve people with respect, you're going to get the respect in return. And I, I think that's that's something that the world needs to hear more often and needs to live by more often. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that tonight. I, I love what you, you said. Your first challenge was that every every one of our achievers needs to know this is you have to have confidence in yourself. Right. You have to believe that that you can do it. And you got to know that you can do it. And there's so many more things that every one of us can accomplish, but it starts with that self-belief and that awareness of yourself and what you're afraid of and what you're not afraid of and what you're willing to try and not try. So I really appreciate you sharing your, your knowledge and your insights with us today and glad you could join us on What's Your Ceiling. Ah, it's yeah. fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, well, you people out there, if you guys subscribers, subscribe, click the thumbs up. And we're going to be at uh, Berkshire Hathaway meeting May 5th and 6th. So come out and join us. And our, you can also, I guess you can email us at wycmediapod at gmail.com. Look forward to seeing you there. Very good. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to What's Your Ceiling? We hope this episode has helped you transform the way you think, understand your awareness, has given you new ideas, and has provided you a new perspective on how to push through your ceiling. Please take in a second to give us a thumbs up. Each review helps us impact more people just like you making a difference in this world. See you next week on What's Your Ceiling?